morning. Good morning. My name is Ruth Mercer, and I am very glad to be with you this morning. Among other things, I am the program developer for the Diocese of Ohio and Bellwether Farm. And while I am always happy to have a chance to talk about the many exciting retreats and programs coming up at Bellwether and to encourage you to attend, that's not really my focus this morning, though I will say there are a number of things happening at Bellwether that can help with the things I'm going to talk about. But before I go too much further, I am sure that many of you are aware there was a fire at Bellwether Friday night in the early morning hours, and the animal barn was burned completely to the ground. There were no people hurt, no firefighters, no staff. But we did lose some animals. We lost our two beef cattle. We lost a number of sheep, and, um, and I suspect lambs as well. And as a child of a farm, I will just tell you that the loss of livestock is heartbreaking to a farmer. And so I would ask you to please keep, especially those who work on the farm with the animals, Isaac and Richie and Farmer Brian and Autumn, our farm intern, please keep them in your prayers because they really will be mourning the loss of these four-footed friends. My thanks again, BJ, to you for inviting me to preach, and my thanks to all of you who are gathered here this morning. I almost don't actually need to preach because you already sang my whole sermon in your processional hymn. And I could stop here, but I'm not going to. So you know how on Sesame Street, they always say that Sesame Street has been brought to you by some letters and numbers, right? Today, the letters Sesame Street is brought to you by the letters T and F and the number three. And today's scriptures feel a little bit like that to me today because they're really, really clear in the message. And the messages are trust God, have faith, and be born anew. And yes, there's a quiz later, so pay attention. <laughs> now the Genesis passage pretty much just says, trust God. God tells Abram to get up and move, and he does. And then we have Paul's letter to the Romans. Oh, Paul. He of the lengthy greetings and the multiple clause sentences. He's like a biblical Shakespeare. But I like Shakespeare. And it just takes a little more time to parse him. And with Paul, we know that if he's writing to the Romans, he's writing to a bunch of Gentiles and Jews who pretty much can't agree on what makes a follower of Jesus. There's a lot of argument about that in the church. Are the rules important or not? Paul pretty much does not. His thesis is that faith is what makes you a follower of Jesus, much more so than just following the rules. But we get a rule follower today, and who is our rule follower today? It's Nicodemus. Poor Nicodemus. He's going to see Jesus at night so he doesn't get caught, and he's begging to be taught. He's really seeking that midrash from the rabbi. And I got to tell you that I really feel for Nicodemus because he was a smart guy. He knew his scripture and he just did not get what Jesus was telling him. And then, poor fellow, to add insult to injury, Jesus says, Nick, buddy, how can you say you're a rabbi if you cannot even understand this simple thing that I am telling you? 
And I have to say, the number of times in my life when I have said, but I don't understand, only to hear the reply, how can you not understand, is, well, it's more than I care to count. And then, and then we get John 3, 16. What have we got? We've got trust God, have faith, and be born anew. And these tenets of Christianity are what I think what really equips us for our Lenten journey. Indeed, in my view, they are the whole basis of a Christian vocation. They're a map, they're a litmus test, and they are our Christian DNA. And I find any one of them awfully hard to do on any kind of a consistent basis, let alone all three. I get the concept, but the application is challenging. So let's look at each precept individually and then see how we can apply them to our Lenten journey. Genesis just says, trust God. That's hard. How do I trust a God who lets the world be where it is today? How do I trust a God who lets bad people get away with things? Well, the answer to that is, it's not God, that's on me, because I am the voice and the hands and the feet of God and of Jesus in the world. And I don't like to admit this, but trust is not a thing I do well. According to my therapist, there are a lot of solid reasons, psychological reasons for my lack of trust. But trust means giving up control. And if I give up control, then all kinds of things could go wrong. Still, you would think that after more than half my life with a loving, kind, and committed spouse, participation in strong faith communities, and the love and support of good friends, I would be a trusting person. But I am not. A little bit trusting? More trusting than even just a few years ago? Yes, absolutely, but never, never Abram-level trusting. Let go and let God is not a comfortable way of approaching life for me. But the cool thing about that is that God knows this and takes whatever level of trust I can place in God and helps me build on it. God is constant. God is present. God is to be relied upon, even when other things, worldly things, are not. Jobs come and go. People come and go. Even church communities come and go. God is. And even for a not wholly trusting control free like me, that is amazing and awesome. How firm a foundation. Paul's letter to the Romans, big message, big takeaway, have faith. Faith is a corollary to trust. Again, not so trusting me thinks this is a great concept, but the practical application is trickier. Does having faith mean going to church regularly? Does it mean having a spiritual discipline? Does it mean believing that everything will work out okay 
And what if it doesn't? Was my faith then misplaced? How do I shore up my faith when it feels shaky? And here again, for me, it helps to remember that God is the constant, that God is not dependent on my faith, but my faith is dependent on God. And then we get to John, be born anew. As someone who has led a somewhat peripatetic life, I have had a fair amount of practice at reinventing myself. And whether that's via physical or mental health challenges, new communities, new careers, new churches, whatever it is, the idea of being born anew as a practice of faith trips me up every time. And it's why I get where Nicodemus is struggling and where I imagine many of us struggle. And here's what's really hard for me, is that Nicodemus worshiped regularly. He had a spiritual discipline. He was learned in scripture. Heck, he had firsthand knowledge of and had probably even seen some of Jesus' miracles. And if he didn't get it, what chance do I have? What chance do any of us have? But let's admit it, we are all Nicodemus at times, leaning on our own understanding, our own knowledge and our own perception of how things ought to be. We're human. But if we apply what we take away from the first two scriptures, that we must trust God and have faith, then we can begin to understand and I can begin to accept that to be born anew simply means to be open to the spirit. Be open to the invisible that moves the visible. Be open to the ineffable, the undefinable. It is really the only thing that God asks of us is to be open to the invitation. The invitation that comes through Jesus' sacrifice of suffering and death on the cross. And we do have to talk about John 3.16. And I, I will tell you, as, as an Episcopalian, I, I find John 3.16 just a bit much. It is the most cited most quoted, most made into a sign, bumper-stickered passage from Holy Scripture. And every major televised sporting event, you will see at least one sign waving in the stands, John 3.16. And it's a little embarrassing. It's pretty hardcore for an Episcopalian. It's kind of fundamentalist. It's like the people who ring your doorbell on Saturday morning to ask you if you've been saved or the overbearing relative who wants to talk to you about whether or not you found Jesus. I usually just ask if he was lost. <laughs> Martin Luther called it the gospel in miniature. He thought it so neatly captured the essence of what it meant to be a Christian. Then, you know, he's Martin Luther, so who am I to argue, right? I haven't got even one thesis nailed to a door, let alone 95. But John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that all who believe in him should not perish but have life everlasting. That is some powerful grace given to us whether we choose to accept it or not. Jesus is a great big picture of trust God, have faith, be born anew. And we aren't Jesus for sure. 
But we have been given the gift that makes those things possible for us. It, what makes the walk towards Palm Sunday and the Last Supper and Good Friday and ultimately, blessedly, Easter so mind-blowing for me, that gift just blows my mind. One last thing I want to share with you, just because I think it's so beautiful and appropriate to what we've just been talking about, especially about being open to the Spirit. It's the story of a hymn that was written by a fellow named George Matheson, who was a 19th century Scottish minister, scholar, and hymn writer. And in 1882, he wrote to a friend about his experience writing this hymn. Matheson wrote, Something happened to me, which was known only to myself, and which caused me the most severe mental suffering. The hymn was the fruit of that suffering. It was the quickest bit of work I ever did in my life. I had the impression, rather, of having it dictated to me by some inward voice than of working it out myself. I'm quite sure that the whole work was completed in five minutes and equally sure it never received at my hands any retouching or correction. I have no natural gift of rhythm. All the other verses I have ever written are manufactured articles. This came like a day spring from on high, and I have never been able to gain once more the same fervor in verse. Talk about letting the invisible move the visible. Here's what he wrote. O love that wilt not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O joy that seekest me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel the promise is not vain. That morn shall tearless be. O cross that liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms red life that shall endless be. I'm not sure I have any great takeaway for you on what you should do with your Lent. Mine's always a bit of a mess, so I'm loath to counsel anyone else about what to do. But today, I think we have what we need to help us on our Lenten journey. And while we may fast, we may adopt new habits or drop old ones, we may begin a spiritual discipline or stop one right now, today, we have been given the rubric. If we trust God and have faith, we will be most assuredly born anew. Amen. <laughs>